Good morning. Wow, I should leave more. <laughs> this is written that you may believe. We close out John chapter 20 today, and John gives us a catch-all phrase, kind of a, a statement here in the last two verses of this second to the last chapter of the Gospel of John. I find it very interesting because it really doesn't tie the previous verses with the next chapter. It's just kind of stuck there, but I believe it to be really, really important for us today. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written down that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Sandy and I have been on vacation for the last two weeks, and um, two weeks ago we were in Nashville, Tennessee. The pastor's sermon was on the importance of knowing the word of God. And while I will not be re-preaching that message... Um, I have to tell you that there were some statements that, that stuck with me and have been with me in my spirit that I haven't been able to shake. And as I opened up my computer to prepare for today, to see this statement, I just thought, wow, that's really confirming with what the Lord has uh, had in my spirit. And I, I reached out to Jake to find out where he was going to be ending, and he ended perfectly for this. Look at it again, verse 31, but these are written that you may believe. You see, words, the word of God was written for a purpose. Many purposes, one that we see here is that we would believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah and that by believing in him, we have life. Now, he's making uh, the pastor in, in Nashville again, um, it he opened with this tongue-in-cheek illustration of a popular Christian statement. Many of you, I'm sure, have heard it before. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And he was making the statement. He was sharing about an argument that he was reading between friends on Facebook. And uh, the person who wrote it did so with this emphatic conversation-ending parting shot, as if to say, take that. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. <laughs> we live in a world that's changing very fast. It is not changing for the better. It's changing for the worse. It's changing faster than any of us, no matter what your age could ever imagine it would be changing. Just the last two years have been dynamic change. And this isn't a message about social change or anything like that. Um, but think about that statement with me. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. We're faced with a rainbow, pun very intended, of life issues. And listen to me, we cannot let the culture dictate to us what we believe. 
we have to know. We have to know what we believe. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we live kingdom down, not culture up. We, as a believer, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we live kingdom down. We don't take our, our culture and say, God, this is what it's supposed to be like. That's what I mean by that. We don't live culture up. We live kingdom down. These are written so that you would believe. So that you know what to believe. <clears throat> if we don't take the word of God for what it says, then we're in jeopardy of not looking any different than the world. And if we don't look different than the world, then we have a real problem. Look at Genesis chapter 3. It's the fall of man. This is as old as the very first human beings. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? You take any social issue today, and there's a serpent right there waiting to say, did God really say that? I mean, is that really what God meant? I mean, can you really take God at his word? It's nothing new. With all we face today, we must be able to stand for the kingdom. And as we trans transition from this book, John, into next week, next week's Father's Day, and I want to I want to encourage you to be here, ladies. If you have a husband that's not in church, I would invite, you, I would ask you to encourage them to be with you next week. We're moving into a new book study, First Timothy, and it is it is a not an easy read. It will challenge us. And if we are going to, to embrace what God's word has to say, then we have to be resolved that it is exactly what I say it is, what it says it is. It is the word of God. And so today, in preparation, I want to talk to you about the importance of the word of God. The initial genealogy in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 5. In verse 21, it says this, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters all together. Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. We see Enoch again centuries later near the end of the New Testament in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. 
He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. I don't know about you, but that's something I want to be said about me. That I walked faithfully with God and that I pleased God. On February 16th, 2020, my dad suffered a massive stroke that ultimately took his life three days later. Mid-morning, um, it was a Sunday morning, actually, and um, we, we learned of the severity of the issue, and um, we left between services. Jake, uh, Jake, Jay, Josh, praise God for them. Amen? Uh, what, a, what a team we have. Um, Jake stepped up, and Sandy and I flew down to Missouri, uh, we hit the airport, went straight to the hospital, and um, visiting hours were over. We finally went home. It was strange walking into the house. Um, it wasn't my house. Uh, it, it was at one time, so it was, you know, it was just different. If you're, as adults, you know, we go back home. It's, it's home, but it's not really home anymore, and, and this time was going to be radically different. And as we walked through the house, it was me and Sandy and my brother Dave, and um, we knew that this was the first time we would be walking through the house after everything we had ever known changed. And uh, it was quiet, and um, it would be very quiet for a very long time. And I don't know that the three of us ever really talked about what was going on Uh, inside us, but I rounded the corner into my dad's office and I saw something that would give me peace in the moment and for the rest of my life. And there's a picture of it. The last thing my my dad did that Saturday night was something he did every day that was read his Bible. This is how he left the physical presence of this earth essentially in his home, Bible open. And as I thought about who my dad was and preparing for his memorial service, the Lord gave me that illustration, Enoch. My dad was a man who walked faithfully with God and he lived a life that pleased God. And I can tell you the number one thing that helped that was that every single day, the first hour of every day for over 40 years, he spent time In the word of God. The book of Psalms opens in this way. Blessed is the one who does not walk with the step in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in season, whose leaves do not wither, and whatever they do prospers. 
Verse 6 ends with this, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. That is a word from the Lord. It's a promise. And if there's something that I want Mill City Church to be known for, it is that we are a people who walk faithfully with God and are a people who please God. And if that is to happen, we must be people of the word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul gives us five specific benefits of God's word in our life. Now, this is the second letter from Paul to Timothy. It is known to be Paul's last letter before he would ultimately be executed for his faith. Timothy was a pastor at this point. He was appointed the pastor of the church in Ephesus. He was young for his position, and um, he was appointed to lead the church through a very difficult season, a very difficult time, and we'll get to uh, study that in detail over the coming months. But as I say, this was Paul's last letter, and I think about that. If, if you knew, if I knew that I only had a few days or weeks to live and I were to sit down and write something to my son, I would make sure to put the most important things I had learned in that last letter, wouldn't you? And so this is what Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, Timothy... Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There are five things outlined for us here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that Paul gives us as benefits to God's word. And the first is this, salvation. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. These things are written down so that you may believe and they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Did you realize that the word of God has the power to save people? 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed. Not, this is not a physical birth. No, you have been spiritually born again. It is imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. Of God. If you are saved, how did you know that you needed Jesus? How did you know that there was sin in your life? How did you know that God had a plan for redeeming you and rescuing you from your sin? The Word of God. Now, if the Bible has the power to save you, then the Bible has the power to save others. Now, let me ask you this What was the one thing that you cannot do in heaven that you can do here? On earth. It is fulfilled the Great Commission as Jesus laid out in Matthew chapter 28 to go make disciples 
of all nations. I believe the Bible is the most useful tool in helping us to accomplish that mission. And so often we feel like we've got to have some dynamic program. We've got to get somebody into a, a, in front of a great evangelist, or we've got to have some great evangelical uh, program or, or a crusade or, or something for, to invite our friends and family, and that isn't true. Some of those things can be helpful. They are effective. But the one thing you could do, every single one of us could do to help someone who doesn't know Jesus is give them a Bible. Give them a Bible. The most effective way for you to fulfill the great commission that God has put on all of our lives is to share your story with somebody who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Give them a Bible. Encourage them to read it. Start with the book of Matthew. Start with the book of John. And then schedule some time with them and help them to understand it. Discuss what they're reading. That's what we do here at Mill City Church. We teach the Bible. We teach the Word of God. We teach it verse by verse. And the reason that we do that is we believe that when people are taught the Word of God, they will hear the gospel and they will get saved. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Too many churches go from topic to topic and topic to topic, and, and we got this hot topic and this current event, and we're going to talk about that, and we're going to dissect it. And I'm not saying that all topical churches or messages do so ineffectively, but there are too many that just stay in safe and easy places. The Bible is not an easy read. It's, it's written for all of us to understand. It's written at a level that we can all understand, but it's not always easy to hear what the Bible has to say. But listen, people today need to hear what the Bible has to say. And when they do, they'll get saved. Now, not only does the Bible have the power to save us and save others, it helps us to grow. The second benefit is teaching. All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching. We serve a good God, and at the core of God's heart is the desire to bless people. He is good, and he wants to do good to all people. When I think about this verse, I can't help but to think that the fact that God, through his word, has given us an instruction manual for living a blessed life. And what's even better is it was his idea. It wasn't Moses' idea or Paul's idea or John's idea. At our core, we are evil to the core. We don't pursue God, but God in his goodness and his grace pursues us. Look again at Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the one who doesn't do these things or do those things or do this. No, blessed are the people whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. What does that give you a mental picture of? A, a, a sturdy, strong, planted place. What helps with that? Water, nutrients. We're planted by streams of water. What should that produce? 
fruit. It produces fruit and it stays alive. His leaves do not wither and everything they do prospers. And then there's this divine protection over your life. That's the heart of God. That we would be planted by streams of water, that we would yield fruit in season, that our leaves would not wither, and that everything we do prospers. Don't you want everything to do prosper in your life? I do. I want everything that this church does to prosper. Now, that's not a prosperity message. And those of you who know me, you know I don't preach that. We just saw it a few chapters ago. John chapter 16 says, in this life, you will have trouble. That's a promise. But take heart. God's going to be with you through your troubles. And at the end of the day, this ain't our home. We have another home that's waiting for us. All scripture is God-breathed. The Bible is written by many different individuals throughout centuries. However, what this means is that God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, moved upon those individuals to write the words that they wrote on paper. And we see this confirmed for us in 2 Peter chapter 1. Above all, you must understand, no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This wasn't Moses. This wasn't John. This wasn't David or any of the other writers of Scripture sitting down and saying, hmm, I wonder what I should write today. That's not how this is. No, God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, breathed his breath, like, like what Josh was talking about two weeks ago. He breathed on them, and he said what? Receive the Holy Spirit. That This was the, the Holy Spirit, God, very God, in the presence of the Spirit, coming down upon these people to move the, their very hand to write the heart and mind of God. So even though many individuals wrote the Bible, there's only one author, and that is God. And throughout the centuries, this book has endured. Why? Because it is God-breathed. It is God-inspired. This is God's will, and the Bible will continue to endure. It's just the way it is. Now, compare that. Remember I said things change all the time. We are in constant change in our society. Why? Because we are full of man's ideas and man's theories and man's thoughts and man's emotions. And guess what? Those things change, and we cannot depend on man and what man has to say. We must know what God has to say. And the Bible teaches us. Back to 2 Timothy, it teaches us who God is. It teaches us what he is like. It teaches us how he created the earth and where we come from. It teaches us about sin and our need for a savior. It teaches us how to live a godly life and how to grow in your knowledge of him. It teaches us how to manage our daily life and affairs, how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife, how to be good parents, how to raise your children, how to conduct yourself as an employee or an employer or a manager, how to manage your money how to handle temptation and overcome sin. These are all principles 
of life that we must know, and they're all found in the Bible. You mean that's in there? Yes, and so much more. And that, you know, you think about that, and you wonder how in the world can we go about our daily lives, and we could go day after day or week after week and never pick up the Bible? When you think about it in that context, isn't that incredible? That we would try to do life without God's help and his instruction manual, but it's not a new problem. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 says this, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. What kind of knowledge? Well, they've ignored the law of God. And so God leaves them to themselves. You want to destroy a people? Let them do whatever they want. It's no mystery that people live in bondage. They make bad decisions in life when they can go day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. No doubts there are people sitting here in this room and you have not picked up your Bible in weeks, months, and sometimes even years. And you wonder why you struggle. You wonder why you are in temptation or in bondage. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 1 says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. If you're struggling with temptation, if you're struggling with life, you're struggling in your marriage, you're struggling to raise your children, and you never pick up the Bible, man, I got one antidote. I got one suggestion. And it's not to call a counselor. It's not to call a family life center. It's not to call some human being. It is to call on God and to pick up his word and start applying his word to your life. And then you sit and watch and see what God can do in a short period of time versus weeks, months, or years under man's wisdom. Ouch. We shouldn't just be reading it though. Look at what Second Peter or First Peter chapter two says. Like newborn babies, we should be craving it. We should be craving it. If we're craving the word of God, you know what you'll do? You will grow up in your salvation. And how many of us know that inside the church there is just as much fighting, there's just as much jealousy. There's just as much envy, strife, bad behavior all the way around inside the churches, outside. How come? It's because people haven't grown up in their salvation. They may have been saved for 20 years, but spiritually, they are still newborn babies. And so they act like babies. It's a huge reason why when you get saved or when you rededicate your life to the Lord here, especially right after that, we encourage you to put into practice reading your Bible. Not that you get more saved. You can't be more saved. You're saved or you're not saved. It's just you're on this team or you're that team. But you need to grow up in your salvation and you begin that maturing process by being in the word of God. Third, rebuking. 
All scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching and rebuking. As I said, the Bible's a hard read, and that's okay. You know, as a man, I just want to just tell me the truth and let me deal with it. And that's what we try to do here. Just cut, cut to the chase. Give it to me straight, right? Never before have we ever lived in a time when everyone walks around on such pins and needles, so concerned, virtually terrified of offending somebody. Now, I try not to live there, and I'm certainly not living there today. But the problem, the reverse, you know, the, the impact of that is this, is this. We get easily offended. We're so worried about offending somebody else. And so now we're going to, hey, how dare, well, how dare you say that to me? How can you, who do you think you are? Who told you? Sadly, what God meant for our benefit has been pushed aside for fear of hurting somebody's feelings. And in today's culture, people take any different, differing opinion as not a difference of opinion, but hatred. It's no longer you don't accept me for who I am. It's now become you hate me. And, and I'm, this has radically changed in just the last two years. Since we started this church, it has radically changed. And across this world and even some places in this nation, dare I say, on some social media sites, people are being literally turned off and categorized by just speaking the word, by reading the Bible that as hate speech. And they are turned off like they have been turned off. That's just the truth. I'm here to tell you, that's the world that we live in. Now, rebuke has a harsh tone to it. I like how the Living Bible puts it. Look at this. To make us realize, I don't know if I've got this in, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. That, that's a little bit more applicable, I think. How does it do that? Hebrews says this. The word of God is alive. It is active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. The, the word picture is that it cuts so close that it even divides things that are essentially the same. It cuts that deep. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom we will give an account. You see, the word of God cuts straight to the heart of any issue. And this may seem harsh and overbearing, but consider the heart of God when reading this. God's heart is to bless, not curse you. Second Peter chapter 3 says it. Do not forget this one thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some of us understand that. Instead, he is patient with you because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Now, repentance 
is a really important word. It doesn't say he wants everyone to come to salvation. It says he wants everyone to come to repentance because repentance is critical to salvation. You must understand what sin is. You must understand that you cannot save yourself, and you must understand that there is a Savior out there, and you must turn from your sin. That's repentance. He wants everyone to recognize that. Now, I want you to <clears throat> further uh, understand this. God wants to expose the things in our lives that are not pleasing to him. The things that cause us to stumble, that create a blockage in our relationship with him. He wants us to see the things that get in the way of his blessing in our lives. James says that the Bible's like a mirror, okay? Now, why am I emphasizing this? Because all too quickly, we jump to using God's word as a mirror and going up to other people and saying, see what's wrong with your life? And we don't live up to the standard ourselves. You see, there's a double standard in this world. You can point out other people's sins and then they will turn it against you just as quickly as possible because you ain't no peach. You're just as much a sinner as the next person. So how about let the word of God deal with you? And then as you live that out, then you'll be more effective in reaching others. Sadly, people think that God's just up there with a baseball bat waiting to whack you over the head whenever you screw up. And that's not the God we serve. And you cannot read the Bible in context and come to that conclusion. The Bible exposes sin in our life so that we know what to work on. We see our imperfections. We see where we fall short, and then God is there to help us. We see what changes need to take place. We refer to that as conviction. It's God using his word to point out what needs to change. It convicts us, and then it forces us to confront the things that need to be confronted. Why is there strife in your relationships? Why can you not get along with your spouse? How come you can't seem to manage your household? Why is it that you have conflict all around you? Why can you not overcome temptation? Why are you in financial hardship? These are all, there are all of the answers to this are found in God's word. If you let it become a mirror to your life. Unfortunately, as I say, we have created an environment where things that need to be said aren't allowed to be said. And so people are living so far separated from God that they're being destroyed and they don't even realize it. And there's a devil out there that's loving every minute of it. But we aren't afraid to tackle hard issues here, are we? We tackle them because some things do need to be said. They do need to be discussed, and they need to be discussed and explored within the context of God's word. And what happens is when we preach the word of God in context, verse by verse, we expose those things that in God's timing need to be exposed. And for the last seven years, we have seen nothing short of divine intervention, if you want to call it that, divine uh, encounters where just the very next verses were applicable 
to what we're going through as individuals and as a church body. And when we do that, God has a, just, he blesses us for that. And fortunately, God doesn't stop with just pointing out what's wrong with our lives. Um, and that brings us to the fourth benefit. It's correcting. All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting. Aren't you glad that God doesn't just stop with telling you what's wrong with your life? Satan does that. We call that condemnation. You think you're, you're so far from, I can't believe you. That's condemnation. No, God, in his 10 commandments, in his grace and love, has given us guidelines for how to do life and do life well. They're not just a bunch of do's and don'ts. No, just like there are physical laws and parameters in our world, there are moral laws and parameters. And God has put them in to our world so that we know what works in life. These things, if you do these things, then God's hand will be on you. There will be blessing in your life and things will go well with you. If you do these things, God's hand won't be on you. God's hand will be off you or God's hand will be against you and, and things won't go well with you. You can do them. That's your choice. It's your own free will. But oh, wouldn't you rather have the Lord's blessing and hand on your life? You know, uh, I'm just reminded of a, of a very recent event, and, and some of you may remember uh, back in February, uh, I shared with you a, uh, an issue that we were having in the church. Um, we were meeting a, as a uh, finance committee, I believe it was February, wasn't it, Dan? Um, and um, we had gone through a series of months where we had had to take money out of our savings account. To just to make our monthly obligations. And, and we'd gone years. I mean, we never had had to do, with, do that before. And, and it was, it was kind of stunning to us. And we're sitting in this, this meeting, and it was Jay Baker that said, hey, where are we at on our missions? And we had made a decision from inception that we were going to give 10% of our general tithes and offerings out to missions. And we were $14,000 behind in our missions commitment. Now, it, we had fulfilled all of our commitments to our missionaries. We just have, we had 10% was more than enough. And that's been that way really from the beginning. And so once a quarter or, or periodically through the years, we would just double gift to missionaries, or we'd have some cause or whatever that would fulfill that. We had never been this far um, in the red, if you will. And we looked at each other and like, okay, God's word says this, test me on this. We've made a commitment to, to give, to tithe 10% of our, of our income, just like we give 10. And Jay's like, you know, I don't every month say, well, I'm going to put 5% in and hold back five just in case. No, we give 10% tithe. Why would that be different as a church? And so we made a decision right then. We're going to pull the 14,000 out of savings. And as, as I understand it, we have not had to pull from savings ever since. Why? Because God is, God's word is true. 
And so whether it's in salvation or whether it's in healing or whether it's in um, provision or whether it's in protection, whatever it is, if God's word said it, then you better believe it and that should settle it. Amen? And you test him on that and you just watch and see if God isn't going to fulfill his commitment to you. Amen? Now, James says something that's very important here in James chapter 1. He says, do not merely listen to the word of God. You need to do what it says. See, if you're just a listener, not a doer, then you've lied to yourself and you have been deceived. I love how James is so tickles your ears. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do it is like somebody who looks at their face in the mirror and after looking at himself walks away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Some of you in here, you need to hear that. And then you need to take step number two and you need to start doing it. God convicts us of sin and then he picks us up and he puts us back on the road. And there's a result and the worship team can come. It's the fifth training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And there's a purpose for that. Because we are saved to serve. We are saved not just to go to heaven. That's a wonderful benefit. Praise God for that. But while you're still breathing and living on this earth, God has a job for you. You have been created in Christ Jesus to do something. And he's already prepared in advance for you to do it. And the problem is, when you don't allow God's word to penetrate your life and change your life, then it makes it very, very difficult for him to accomplish what he's called you to do through you. What do I mean by that? Well, it's not perfection, because none of us are perfect, and you'll never be perfect this side of heaven. So I'm not talking about that. But you can live a life of righteousness. But when you're living a life that contradicts his word or that compromises his word, then, then you don't look any different than the world. You see, we are called to be free. Galatians chapter 5. You have been called to be free. You have been called to live a life above. And we're going to learn a lot about that in the next book study in 1 Timothy. I promise you that. And it's going to challenge many of us in this room. And I'm not here to tell you anything other than God's word is true. And if you let it be a mirror to your life and you let that be the filter and you trust him, you start to make those changes that he calls you to. 
And you just watch what God can do through your life that he can't do. And so when that, that serpent comes, because he's still alive and active, he's not sharper than any double-edged sword, though. There's a serpent out there. And every news article you read, every post that you see, every verse that you read, all the conversations that you have, which there is so many more compromising out there than true, then there's a serpent out there and he's ready to whisper in your ear, did God really say that? I mean, that was written 2,000 years ago. I mean, we live in a totally different society than that. Did God really mean that? And as people of the word of God, we're better prepared to respond the way Jesus did when he said, it is written. Now you can come at me all day long, devil, but I'm gonna tell you right now, it was written. It is written. No, 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 no. God said, and what John is trying to give us here at the end of his book is a, is a heightened importance. These things are written down. They have endured the test of time. They will continue to endure. And they're written down so that you'll believe. That you'll believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. And in him, you have Now, at Mill City Church, <clears throat> obviously, our prayer is that every single person who is a part of Mill City would not only own a Bible, but that you would also, we would also commit to daily reading and studying it. And if you're not in the habit of reading your Bible, I'd offer just the following suggestions. First of all, get a Bible that you can read. Um, Paul did not write the King James Version, just in case you're wondering, that's the one that Paul loves the most. God loves that one. Paul didn't write it. Um, I don't think Paul spoke English. Maybe that was his prayer language was English. I don't know. Um, I preach from the NIV, but we have Bibles here. Um, Ashley, uh, right here in front of you, um, there's, a, um, there's Bibles here. If you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you to come up. We have living Bible, uh, the, the New Testament, um, the living, New Living Version, um, and those are written so well for you to understand. There are websites out there. Uh, Biblehub.com is the one that I use the most that has every translation except the message. 
uh, on it and commentaries and all kinds of great stuff on there. I would, I would suggest study that thing. I have a study Bible myself that has notes and, and um, listen, I, I, I need it to, because sometimes you read things, even, if, even in the New Living, you're like, How does, what does that mean? It's great to have commentaries. Second, choose a time and a place to commit to reading the Bible. Personally, I find the morning is the best time for me as the day begins, kind of so goes the day, just like Monday, how Monday goes, so goes the week sometimes. Uh, can't be, think of a better way to start your day than with the Lord. And third is have a plan. Um, for some, I'm a process guy, so I like to start at the beginning and work my way through. Sandy is a roulette she will open up God's word and wherever she lands, it's amazing how applicable that is to her life that particular day. And I learned not fast enough, but I have learned to let her be her and, and I am free to be me. And uh, that has given all, both of us great freedom in life. And I just want to, want to encourage you, however that is, um, is looking at, at the calendar, we have 202 days left starting tomorrow in the year 2022. There are 260 chapters in the New Testament. And if, if you read a chapter and a half every day, starting tomorrow, you will get through the entire New Testament by December 31st. If you choose to take just Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, you read two chapters a day, you'll get through the entire New Testament before the end of the year. That's, a, that's an idea. Um, the reality is this, we waste time. And I'm just as guilty as you are of this, but statistically, listen to this, and these are outdated. So 2017, the average U.S. consumer spent 238 minutes, three hours and 58 minutes a day watching TV. According to Nielsen report, U.S. adults are watching five hours and four minutes of TV per day. That's 35 and a half hours a week, just more than 77 days a year, two months and 17 days per year are spent not out at the park, not at the lake, not walking, not reading, but watching TV. And that was before 2020. How about this one? This is from 2019. According to the research from Rescue Time, for Apple and Android users, people generally spend an average of three hours and 15 minutes on their phones every day. The top 20% of smartphone users spend upwards of four hours and 30 minutes per day on their phone. It's kind of stunning, isn't it? And that was August 21st of 2019. I would suggest to you it's probably worse than that.
How can we do it? We see the benefits are there. We need to be people of the word of God. We do need to know what God said so that we can believe it and it can be settled in our heart, in our mind, in our spirit. Amen. Listen, if you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you to come up here at the close of service. We have plenty of them by their side and uh, they're free for you to to take. And uh, there's a number of uh, great resources inside that. And um, let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word because it is true. And we can anchor our lives to it, and we do anchor our lives to it. And God, I pray right now that, that there would be a spark lit, there would be a flame that would be on fire for each and every one of us as we have heard from your word and we have seen the great benefits that we would begin to crave your word that we would that we would not try to argue with you or try to compromise or or set different parameters of what's going to apply and what doesn't apply but just simply to take you at your word God, begin to work miracles in our lives. For those that are in bondage to to life-controlling issues or those that have have suffered with anxiety and fear and and doubt, those things that that the the devil creeps in and, and tries to rob, steal, and destroy. God, that your word would fight that we would be free. And God, that we would be ready, ready not just for the battles, but God, that we would be ready for the work, the job that you have given to us, the opportunities. Lord, speak clearly to us, I pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.